Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted January 20th, 2017, following the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, we talk with Vienna-based author and lecturer Christian Felber about his book titled Change Everything, Creating an Economy for the Common Good. We'll also point out top features in the new WPJ winter issue, cover line interrupted, with a unique perspective provided by all female editors, experts, and journalists. But first, the debut of a weekly update on geopolitical winners and losers worldwide from Ian Bremmer's Eurasia Group, International Risk Consultants. This is Ian Bremmer live from Davos, and we have the winners and losers who skipped Davos edition. Uh, Angela Merkel, kind of loser because she's got an election. She's going to look a lot weaker and everyone's saying Europe is kind of falling apart. Vladimir Putin, winner. Uh, if he's going to go anywhere, it should be the inauguration. He's got his proxies there anyway. Uh, that's more exciting. He's the anti-globalist crowd. Ben Affleck, winner. He's got a Boston accent. I kind of like that. But leaving that aside, um, this is not the year for celebrities to be with the globalists. Come on, you got to have a common touch if you're going to try to do Instagram well. Donald Trump, I want to say loser, but for now at least, winner. Everyone's talking about him this week, and not in a nice way, but they know they don't have a choice. And finally, Bibi Netanyahu, loser. He was so excited to work with Trump, and he's probably going to be forced out because of corruption. You smoke all those cigars, you got to pay for them. But one thing we know about Davos right now, it's smoke them while you got them time. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. In the last seven deals that I've been involved with, there were 2.5 million stockholders who have made a pre-tax profit of 12 billion dollars. Thank you. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. The now iconic greed is good philosophy of cutthroat financier Gordon Gecko as played by Michael Douglas in the sadly but increasingly true-to-life film Wall Street. Although most economies are driven by the pursuit of wealth, it has become clear to many that financial incentives are not always best for the well-being of society. In a book titled Change Everything, Creating an Economy for the Common Good, Christian Felber, noted author and lecturer at the Vienna University of Economics and Business and Worldwide, speaks to this misalignment of priorities and explains the shift in value systems needed to promote a higher quality of life. In a talking policy feature for World Policy blog, Felber underlined the benefits and requirements of an economy for the common good, and we discussed it recently for this podcast. Christian Felber, welcome to World Policy on Air. Hello. An economy for the common good is motivated by relationship and constitutional values, you write, as opposed to selfish profitability. Talk about the specific values you have in mind, human dignity, cooperation, solidarity, ecological sustainability, and what led you to give them top priority? 
Yeah, um, because the nowadays bottom line, money or capital and its increase, are just the means of a true economy. The goals and the values, um, always and everywhere, have been the common good, a good life, and the fundamental values that are enshrined in our constitution, such as human dignity, solidarity, justice, sustainability, or democracy. So the only innovation that the economy for the common good brings along is that we take seriously what is already there in constitutions as fundamental values and goals uh, for the economy. The proper word economy actually indicates uh, the, the house oikos, which is the core of the word economy, uh, means house in ancient Greek. And the goal of a human household is the well-being of all its members, the common good. And if we interpret it as the bigger house, then it's nature. Then the goal of a true, of a literal economy would be the well-being of the planet and its ecosystems. And a true economy strives for the well-being of humans and the planet. Uh, indifferent if we strive for financial uh, wealth, and the increase of capital, this is something different. Of course, it's possible and we are practicing it, but it's not economy by definition. It's krematistike, <laughs> according to a word created by Aristotle. Aristotle puts krematistike in opposition to economy. And krematistike in ancient Greek means the art of making money and to get rich. This, of course, is possible, and it's more or less the same as capitalism, but it's uh, the opposite of the true economy. And the consequence of shifting from capitalism to economy or an economy for the common good is to measure the achievement of uh, the common good uh, as for a national economy, thanks to a common good product, the contribution to the common good of each company via a common good balance sheet, and the contribution to the common good of each investment, thanks to a common good creditworthiness exam or just investment exam. Then we reorientate economic activities towards the ancient timeless universal goal and uh, stop mixing up means and goals in the economy. It's a strong philosophical argument, and you also say that there's social psychology and even neurobiology findings that also show those values uh, have a, almost a, a biological effect on mankind. Well, there are all kinds of arguments from all disciplines, but first and foremost, there are our constitutions, and there is no single democratic constitution in the world that tells us that the increase of capital should be the goal of the economy. All the contrary, those constitutions that tell us something about the role of money and capital say it's just the means. But the goal is the common good or uh, the general welfare, as the U.S. Constitution puts for the whole state. Then we have broad evidence from psychology, game theory, um, pedagogical, pedagogical sciences, uh, who tell us that uh, fulfilling relationships and a nourishing community is what makes people happy and they 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 get better results if they cooperate instead of competing against each other and then we have the same evidence from neurobiological science which is a natural science that says that human brain is made for complex cooperation 
and we are the happier and um, the higher our achievements are, the more we cooperate and live human values like respect and, and tolerance and uh, cooperation and sharing. Uh, on the contrary, if we, behave, if we behave like egoists and act against each other and um, try to maximize our own profit at the cost of others, this uh, makes us achieve less and makes us less happy. Of course, it's possible, and we are proving it every day in the economy that we can <laughs> do it like that, but it's not efficient nor humane. And that's why uh, the fundament for an economy for the common good based on cooperation and human values is already there, and we just need to use our intelligence to uh, readjust uh, the, the guiding lines for the economy according to our um, um, proper goals and values. Talking about adjustment, your book states that in any economy for the common good, quote, the precise meaning of its individual components can and should be determined democratically. Elaborate on the process you propose to accomplish that. Yeah, the same as with uh, liberty or, or justice. These terms are not defined by nature. We have to define what we understand by liberty, by justice, or by the common good. And the proposal how to define it are just uh, back to the roots of democracy. Decentral assemblies in our local communities, municipalities, where we agree on the maybe 20 most important cornerstones of the economic order, our economic system, what's the goal of the economy, how do we measure success, what are banks for, where should we invest and where not, and uh, shall inequality be unlimited or be limited? And if limited, where exactly? So the fun these fundamental questions can be answered by the citizens, by the free and sovereign citizens. We propose a process of one year with one assembly per month. And uh, for all these 20 cornerstones, the participants would work out several alternatives in order to have uh, plenty of alternatives. And then people choose the, the less bad one, to say so, the less painful one. Uh, and that would be the winner. And that would become a part of the constitution of that country that chooses this process. I gather the United Nations uh, recently went through a similar process to establish sustainable development goals. Say more about that. Well, that's exactly a, a very similar process. And uh, the Sustainable Development Goals could serve as a first, um, um, a, a first common good product. Each country could measure to which degree it achieves the elimination of poverty, the reduction of inequality, the improvement of democracy, and the protection of the environment. That's exactly what makes a good life and what increases life quality. And that's actually what the economy is about. If the GDP grows, we don't have any, any security about uh, the, the question if uh, we feel better or worse, if equality improves or worsens, if ecosystems are getting better or worse off, if democracy is getting stronger or weaker, if we are at war or at peace. GDP does not tell us anything reliable on these fundamental questions. And the sustainable development goals are very similarly uh, a common good product or there is 
also another alternative to gross national happiness in the tiny state Bhutan, they measured directly what really matters. They measured directly the goals of a true economy. So if uh, we, we could choose to use it directly, but uh, the alternative, the, the advantage of our proposal is that the common good product would be composed by the sovereign citizens, and then they would be more identified with it. But maybe we just start with the sustainable development goals and then um, replace them in the time by a democratic decision of the citizens. How do you incentivize individuals and companies to shift their value systems to align with an economy for the common good when it might not initially be best for their bottom line and therefore the financial returns that investors expect? Yeah, that's the problem of today's economy. A company uh, that lowers the cost, uh, its own financial costs, but at the cost of human beings, of the community, of the environment, of democracy, and of our future, has lower prices and a competitive advantage. And that's a very unintelligent design of the economy. In an intelligent designed uh, economy, it would be the other way around. And uh, our proposal is the following. First, we measure with the common good balance sheet, which is an ethical balance sheet, the ethical achievement of a company, how much it does for human dignity, solidarity, a just distribution, and the strengthening of uh, the democracy. And according to the result of this ethical balance sheet, the company pays higher or lower taxes, pays higher or lower tariffs. It gets priority or not nothing from the public procurement and banks before giving money, and the same with stock markets, before giving money, they ask for the result of the common good balance sheet. And thanks to this link, linkage between the ethical balance sheet and uh, those diverse incentives, only the ethical performance and the ethical achievers, the responsible and sustainable companies, will be able to have a positive financial balance sheet, which is just about the means. And uh, the, the worst companies that disrespect our fundamental values, they will go tendentially towards bankruptcy although they change and become more ethical companies. The New York Times recently carried a story about a growing demand by investors for financial analysts to consider key environmental, social, and corporate governance factors when they determine the real risk or merit of particular stocks. To what degree do you see that as a, a, the free market also moving on its own towards an economy for the common good? Well, all depends if this is just... Uh, a smart sideline of the same bottom line as always, <laughs> then I would say it's an attempt to disguise capitalism as beautiful, as ethical, as responsible, or as conscience, conscious uh, as some do uh, today. But I think these ethical uh, values and their achievement have to become the proper bottom line. Then uh, it's uh, an an effective uh, change in the logic of the financial system. And uh, actually, our proposal is, is quite radical in the meaning that the financial return should not count at all. What should count uh, if a bank gives a loan or if a stock market uh, gives equity to companies should only be the ethical return on investment 
the meaning return on investment and the utility return on investment. Because as long as uh, the money is the reason for allocating capital, uh, capital will be misallocated um, as nowadays. It will go where it generates the highest return on investment um, independently if this very same investment that generates a high return on investment or financial return investment destroys the environment, um, increases inequality or undermines democracy. And of course, it's less worse if we also consider um, ecological, social, democratic and other goals and, uh, and criteria. But a true economy does not ask for a financial return at all. We would earn our money and the good money and the high salary and the high um, company income by our work, but not by our investment. And of course, this is a complete change of paradigm. But in the long run, I'm convinced that more and more people will understand that the economy is not about making money, but about increasing values. In the World Policy blog feature, uh, you talked about B corporations, social benefit corporations uh, that already exist, for-profit companies that meet, quote, rigorous standards of social and environmental performance, accountability, and transparency. Would making all corporations B corporations be a step in the, the direction that you're headed? That would be definitely a good step, uh, but maybe just the first step because um, as long as the rules of the game of the system enhance um, not for public benefit companies, but for private <laughs> benefit maximization companies, uh, it's just a voluntary exercise. And what we have learned in history is that we need both. We need um, voluntary role models for the, the societal and ethical change, and we need the corresponding laws that promote and support this change. If you just have one of two, it will not work. So uh, my answer is um, big corporations are our good friends, but at the same time, we need to change uh, the economic frame, the framework, the legal framework of the economy in order to, to benefit, benefit corporations and to give them legal priority towards not uh, for benefit or, let's say, um, for profit uh, only um, businesses. How long do you think it would take for a current Western economy to become completely motivated uh, by the common good? What, what progress is already being made and where? Well, we are a very young initiative. Actually, we started just six years ago in Austria. Uh, today, we observe first activities in some 50 countries on all continents. But uh, the lawmakers are the last ones who <laughs> joined the change. Although we have already um, had some first successes from the local level, municipalities that decide to become common good municipalities to the so far highest level, which is the European Union. And there has been a decision from the European uh, Economic and Social Committee that has voted with an 86% in favor of the economy for the common good and its inclusion in the legal framework of the European Union. But uh, this is just um, a lip service for the moment and not a binding law. So 
if this tendency continues and if the big corporations and the company for the common good and the commons and the solidarity economy and the blue economy and more alternatives that just uh, with joint forces may become the economic ecosystem of tomorrow, I would estimate that this change, this deep transformation would take at least at least three or four or five decades for a full system change. But uh, nevertheless, you can see the new system, which might be there in 30, 40 or 50 years, already in its beginnings everywhere. You mentioned what the mayor in Seville, Spain, committed his city to. Yes, there are some 100 municipalities and cities queuing up for becoming um, common good municipalities. And the mayor of Seville in Spain has signed a five-pages treaty with uh, the Andalusian um, Association for the, you know, for the Enhancement of the Economy for the Common Good. So far, there are 22 uh, associations of this kind, and they don't want to become only a common good municipality, which would make the balance sheet for the city and propose both the private and the public companies to do the balance sheet, but they also want to start uh, the creation of a European-wide network of common good municipalities, and that's what uh, they are going to do. You also mentioned regional parliaments in Germany, Austria, Italy, and Spain. That takes it up to yet a higher level towards, as you said earlier, uh, you know, the, the final overview of the EU itself. But uh, these individual parliaments have taken actions. Yes, uh, this is the intermediate level of uh, first success stories. And there are two of them who, in the, who included the economy for the common good in their government program. And uh, one conservative government in the south of Germany has promised to do a common good balance sheet on, on a, a regional um, public company, which would be a public company of... Uh, a state in the United States to compare the level. To the degree that your plan involves government action to enforce, to, to set the scales, the, 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 uh, the carrots and the sticks, how do you see your concept uh, for the common good meshing or clashing with what we see as a growing populist anti-government, anti-elitist, anti-globalist, anti-immigrant sentiment uh, across Europe and the United States these days, the, the success of Brexit and Trump? Mm. Well, um, my observation is that um, all forces in the society need the state and need the governments to enforce their um, wishes and their ideas of a good society. So I think there will always be a government and there will always be states. It just depends on uh, which measures these states take. Uh, the major danger that I saw um, in the last year was the free trade agreement between the United States and the European Union, because it would have considered um, the requirement of a common good balance sheet in public procurement, for instance, as a barrier to trade. And uh, this is really dangerous. So I'm very uh, hopeful that TTIP will not enter into force and that instead uh, the United States and the European Union, together with, um, with more countries, will initiate an ethical trade agreement which requires all companies that want to participate in free trade 
to make their common good balance sheet. And the better uh, the result of that common good balance sheet, the freer uh, the companies trade and the cheaper will be market access for them. But this is a completely different logic, uh, which uh, in the same way would have to be enforced by governments as the TTIP would have been enforced or will be in the worst case uh, enforced by governments, but uh, to the detriment of what we are proposing. Christian Felber, thank you. You're welcome. Christian Felber studied Spanish, psychology, sociology, and political science in Madrid and Vienna, where he works as a writer and lecturer at the Vienna University of Economics and Business and Worldwide. The author of books including Money, The New Rules of the Game, and Change Everything, Creating an Economy for the Common Good, subject of a recent Talking Policy feature for World Policy's website, Felber is also initiator of the Economy for the Common Good and Bank for the Common Good projects. After we spoke, income inequality became a prominent theme at last week's World Economic Forum in Davos. Indeed, quote, the biggest challenge facing the world today, said Xi Jinping, first Chinese president to address that annual summit of global movers and shakers. But he warned against moving from globalization to protectionism, as suggested by Donald Trump. And former U.S. Treasury Secretary Lawrence Summers said Trump's threats against U.S. firms manufacturing in Mexico was already backfiring, cutting the peso's value by 15 percent, thus making Mexico an even more appealing place to relocate American jobs. International Monetary Fund Managing Director Christine Lagarde also called for greater wealth distribution to counter a global surge of populism. And U.S. Vice President Joe Biden predicted more Kremlin meddling in upcoming European elections. Featured in the new WPJ winter issue, Interrupted, written and edited entirely by female foreign affairs experts, you'll find articles on the fight for gender parity in Kenya and Somalia, on the future of feminism in China, and on the bias and bad manners that algorithms behind artificial intelligence can pick up from the real world. And listen next week when our podcast will consider why an Egyptian-Saudi alliance has gone on the rocks. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, managing editor Yafa Frederick, podcast producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. 